It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 392 for May 11th, 2014. This week, if you are tired of facing the tax man with nothing more than a shoebox full of receipts, maybe Quicken can help. Despite opposition from more than 100 companies, tens of thousands of individuals, and several commissioners, FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler will continue with the fast lane proposal. In short circuits, Amazon promises Sunday deliveries for some via the U.S. Postal Service. Patch Tuesday is next week for Microsoft, and there won't be any patches for Windows XP. SanDisk is promising some huge, solid-state disk drives, but they're likely to be priced for the one percenters. We're a little more than a month past tax day, and maybe your checkbook is still stinging. Maybe you were also frustrated by your lack of organization as you sorted through records needed to fill out all those forms. If you've decided not to put yourself through this again next year, your computer can help. I had been using Intuit's free online service Mint.com, but it doesn't have the features needed to organize expenses at tax time, and I wanted to take a look at Mint's big brother, Quicken, which offers substantially more features. Quicken is the standard by which personal finance managers are judged. Not even Microsoft money could compete. Microsoft introduced money for Windows 3.0 in 1991, and 17 years later announced that no new version would be released. Less than a year later, Microsoft announced that it would end development of money entirely. The product activation servers used for money were deactivated in 2011, and that makes it impossible to install or reinstall money, unless you have a cracked copy. Quicken is facing new competition these days from mobile devices and is responding by developing mobile apps of its own. The mobile tools haven't received particularly good reviews yet, and Intuit will need to move quickly to retain its market share. For those with complex financial situations, there is no substitute for Quicken. If you have two lists, one that describes what Quicken does and another that describes what Quicken doesn't do, the first would be enormous. The second would be tiny. If you can't do what you want to do with Quicken, you need a CPA. Quicken Premier does a lot of things I don't need or even understand, but that's the version I installed. Most of us will do just fine with Quicken Deluxe, that's the most popular version, or even with the $30 starter version. The starter version imports and manages bank accounts, creates budgets, sends bill pay reminders, and if that's all you need, you might want to consider Mint into its online product. You can set up several types of accounts for Quicken to track, spending and saving, that would include checking savings, credit cards, and cash. You can set up property and assets, those would be your home, vehicle, and miscellaneous assets. Loans and debts, well, of course, loans, home equity loans, miscellaneous liabilities. And you can include investing and retirement, so brokerage accounts, 401k, 403b, IRA or Keo, and 529 plans. You can also import, download, or manually enter transactions from your accounts. Quicken uses the information to analyze and categorize your spending and to calculate your net worth. You can also sign up for online banking and pay bills electronically.
Quicken will even remind you when the due dates approach. Quicken also provides planning tools, tax tools, and reports that allow you to set goals and use built-in calculators to gauge your ability to meet the goals. There's a tax estimator and tools that help you identify deductions and estimate capital gains, if you're a person who has capital gains. Quicken's user interface continues to make information available in straightforward ways. The default homepage or dashboard is easy to navigate. You'll find the essential information from the past month there, but you can customize the view. Select from several reports and graphs that show upcoming events, expenses for the year, and income for the year. You'll see some images on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In most cases, they're pretty obscured. The left vertical pane of the main page lists active accounts and your current net worth. The top toolbar has only three tabs in addition to the home page, spending, bills, and planning. Links in the upper right provide access to information about your synchronization via mobile devices. You can send data to the Quicken Cloud to be picked up remotely. And about any active alerts, email texts can alert you to events like unusual spending, low balances, and over-budget events. You might think that Quicken is simple and limited, but not so. Once you start looking around, you'll change your mind. For example, the Spending tab gives you access to the tools you'll need to manage and track income and expenses in extreme detail. Highlight a transaction and change the category it's assigned to, or add categories. You can also split the transaction, enter notes and attach flags, void it, or memorize it for use later. After you've defined the various accounts you want Quicken to track, you can update everything with a single click. The interface makes everything look pretty easy, but that doesn't mean you can just install this program and start using it without some instruction. Intuit offers a quick start explanation, and you can use that to make the most of the program. One of the features I like about Quicken is its ability to show detailed information about a transaction when you hover the mouse cursor over that transaction. Month-to-month and year-to-date summaries can help you stick to a budget and use the Bills tab to have Quicken remind you when bills are due or Quicken's bill pay to make payments electronically. The bottom line for Quicken 2014, Five Cats, it is still the leader for detailed financial information. Although many financial management apps are available for tablets and smartphones, all of them have limitations when it comes to the amount of data that can be made available. Intuit has begun to make information from Quicken available to tablet and phone apps, and this migration is certain to continue. If you're a hardcore mobile user who simply detests desktop applications, Quicken probably isn't what you're looking for. But if you're the kind of person who wants the maximum possible amount of information about your finances at your fingertips, and you're willing to have your fingertips touch a desktop or notebook computer, it's hard to imagine a better application than Quicken. Additional details are available on the Quicken website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Apparently, the Federal Communications Commission has been hearing a lot about Chairman Tom Wheeler's plan to save net neutrality by allowing broadband companies to charge more for premium service. 
The pushback has been so strong that members of the commission are asking Wheeler to postpone consideration of the new plan, currently scheduled for review next week. Wheeler says that his proposal won't allow broadband providers to create a slow lane, but will allow them to create a fast lane. This seems to be an exercise in semantics and not a very good one at that. When you're on the freeway, do you view one lane as the fast lane and the other as the faster lane? Or do you see a slow lane and a fast lane? In a speech last week, one of three Democrats on the five-member commission, Jessica Rosenworcel, said that there's been so much response to the proposed rule that the commission should delay action. I've said previously that this isn't a political issue, or at least it shouldn't be. This week, a listener sent me a link to a column in the Detroit Free Press, but the link wasn't to the newspaper's site. Instead, it was to GOP USA. What is GOP USA? Well, according to the site, it is not affiliated with the Republican National Committee, but is a private company whose mission is to spread the conservative message throughout America. You'll find a link to the article on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and again, this is from the Detroit Free Press, but it's on the GOP USA website. Liberals and progressives are concerned about proposed internet changes, so are conservatives and libertarians. Anything that gives corporations the ability to push communications into the less fast lane, or slow if you wish, is a threat to everybody. The Free Press article titled, Why You Should Be Worried About Net Neutrality, says, and I quote, This is what it all comes down to. What do we want the Internet to be, a private luxury or a public utility? Keep in mind that the FCC regulates cable television and telephone service largely because they are deemed essential services. It is difficult to make the case that Internet access is less essential to modern life. That's the opinion of the Detroit Free Press. Last month, FCC Chairman Wheeler said that he wants the Commission to consider what he calls open Internet rules at its meeting on May 15th. There would be no final decision then. The Commission would simply determine whether to put the proposal out for public comment. The final decision would come later. Tens of thousands of people have communicated with the FCC, and most of the communications, including mine, have been in opposition to the plan. Wheeler apparently plans to proceed with the introduction of the proposal, but there may not be enough support on the Commission for it to move forward. The fast lane, slow lane discussion has been confused with quality of service. Here's the difference. Some network traffic needs to have higher priority than other traffic. Video and audio, for example, won't work well if streams are interrupted or slowed. So good network management gives those types of streams precedence over standard web pages and email, for example. That's because a 10-second delay in an email won't be noticed. That's simply good network management. What the broadband providers want to create is a fast lane. And that fast lane would give precedence, for example, to Netflix streaming video over other video because Netflix paid extra, if Netflix paid extra. That is not good network management, and it would give broadband customers, those are the people who pay those big broadband bills every month, you and me, that would give us less reliable and less usable service unless we're willing to use only the content from those who are willing to pay more. Commissioner Rosenworcel says the FCC needs to allow the Commission's legal experts to review the proposal and to review comments that the FCC has received. 
The question seems to be whether citizens believe that net neutrality has any value, and if so, whether the FCC should enforce it or regulate it. I think it's a mistake to cut off public debate right now as we head into consideration of the chairman's proposal, Rosenworcel said, calling for at least a one-month delay. The commission's Republican members have said that they oppose net neutrality requirements entirely. Amazon, Google, and more than 100 other software, social media, and technology companies have signed a letter to Wheeler saying that they oppose the plan that would create a fast lane. Some of the others include Dropbox, eBay, Etsy, Facebook, Foursquare, LinkedIn, Microsoft, Netflix, Reddit, Tumblr, Twitter, and Yahoo, among a bunch of startups. The startups don't have the money to pay for fast lane service. Oddly, Apple isn't a signatory. In short circuits, remember when the U.S. Postal Service wanted to shut down Saturday deliveries because they cost too much? Well, now the USPS is working with Amazon to provide Sunday deliveries in some cities. Last Sunday, two Amazon packages for me were delivered on Sunday, but because the office was closed, they had to be brought back on Monday, and one of them, although reported as being delivered, disappeared into the Neverland. If you live in one of these cities, you might receive a package from Amazon on Sunday. Indianapolis, Lexington and Louisville, Kentucky, New Orleans and Shreveport, Louisiana, Cincinnati and Columbus, Ohio, Oklahoma City, Philadelphia, and Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, Waco, and College Station, Texas. Amazon first offered the service in New York and Los Angeles. The company seems to think that this will attract more customers and might be the glue that binds Amazon Prime members to the service, which now costs $100 a year instead of $80. Amazon also allows Twitter users to add products to their Amazon carts without leaving the social media site. And, of course, there's the new Prime Pantry service for groceries in some cities. Sunday delivery is available to all Amazon customers who live in the served areas. Microsoft stopped supporting its 13-year-old XP operating system, and then Heartbleed hit. Microsoft quickly provided a security patch for XP, and security advisor Graham Cooley says that was a bad idea. Delaying the inevitable, he wrote, makes it more likely that XP users will continue to put off upgrading. This coming Tuesday is Microsoft's official monthly patch day, and there will be no updates for XP users. The patches issued that day will undoubtedly fix some security issues. After all, issues are identified and fixed every month, but no longer for XP. According to Cluley, it would be no surprise at all if malicious hackers reverse-engineered Microsoft's fixes 
and explored how to exploit on Windows XP those security flaws that are fixed on the likes of Windows 7 and above. That shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Microsoft has been warning, loudly, for months that support for XP would end. And before that, the XP end-of-life date hadn't exactly been a secret. Yet tens of millions of computers are still running XP. Cluley puts it this way, It's time for the world to get rid of Windows XP, and it's time for Microsoft to make an honest, clean break and not release any more fixes for XP. Sandisk has launched what it calls the world's first enterprise class 4 terabyte solid state drive and says that an 8 terabyte model is on the way. With solid state drives that large, the only thing standing in the way of universal acceptance is the price. The company says it has Olympus Max 6 terabyte and 8 terabyte drives in the works for next year. Sandisk isn't talking about prices, but Seagate offers an 800 gigabyte that would be 0.8 terabyte solid-state drive, for $6,600. And what would a SanDisk drive more than four times as large cost? Certainly $10,000 or more. But solid-state drive prices are coming down, and it's likely that SSDs will eventually replace drives with spinning platters, just not this week or next, or next year. Maybe not this decade. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.